1: We're back. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Coulter Nuanas, Brooks Nuanas, Nuanas Brothers. Happy to be here with you. And uh, football is upon us thanks to our awesome sponsors this fall. Nick Tabor, Westpac Wealth, does some financial advising, helps out both Brooks and myself with our uh, personal finances, our whole life insurance, and other various investments. Also got to say thank you to Opportunity Bank, Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity, as well as Blackfoot Communications for all of their steadfast support as we've continued to build uh, this multimedia conglomerate that we got here. Appreciate ESPN Montana for their partnership as well with us here uh, at Skyline Sports. The Bobcats have been conducting fall camp practices for about five days. The Grizzlies hit the practice field for the very first time yesterday. Myself and Brooks were down there uh, at Dornblaser Field to check out the Grizz. We both reside in Missoula now, so we'll be getting over to Bozeman a couple times in the next month or so. We'll be back. We'll be down at Grizz practice a little bit more often, just from a convenience standpoint. So we'll start there. We'll start with Montana. Uh, the overwhelming storyline coming out of yesterday was the. Uh, Passing down of number thirty seven or lack thereof. We'll get to that in a minute. Marcus Wellnell was wearing number ten, not number thirty seven. Bobby Houck said he was unequipped to answer questions about it. But before that, before any of that drama came about, Brooks, uh, you haven't been to a practice down there at Dornblaser Field for a little while. What did you think of the Grizzlies day one?
0: Well, it's awesome to see football. I've been getting super excited for it. You know, we talk a lot, Colt as we transition season, sometimes it's hard at the beginning. Let's say example, you're, you know, game 10 of uh, of a long football schedule and all of a sudden basketball is going. It's like, I don't really want to deal with basketball. Well, it happens with football too, because I love having, you know, an an open summer with a little bit of outdoor time and recreating. And sometimes it's hard to say, wow, back to the grind of football, but I was actually really exciting. Um, It felt like there was, you know, a lot of uh, enthusiasm in the air from Montana Grizzlies, preseason number three in the, in the uh, stats FCS top 25 poll. Um, likely, Colt, you can answer this as high as they've ever been ranked in the preseason. I mean, they may have been number one at one point um, in the mid-2000s, but otherwise it doesn't really get a whole lot higher um, being number three in the country. So all of that was exciting. Um, a, lot of, a lot of familiar players, a lot of familiar faces, as well as some new guys. So it's always nice to see body types, especially before they put pads on. I actually find quite a bit of value um, in just watching guys run around with just their shirts on, you know, just a Jersey. Um, you can kind of, you get a little bit more of a, of a idea frame and some of the development over the summer of, of guys that took stride in the weight room and stuff like that. So that was, that was really nice to see. And again, the enthusiasm was high. Um, the expectations I think are, are, are equally as high. So the Montana Grizzlies, uh, while it would be nice to get pads on, uh, there was still a little bit of contact and some good deep balls, and offense was a little bit more uh, diverse than i would seen in a couple seasons. So all that was was relatively exciting.
1: One guy that uh, when I first went over to talk to you, you said, uh yeah, man, Mar- Marcus Light looks pretty good." The uh, the the t- couple years did the former Mo- Montana All-American running back some good uh, just being away, and uh, he does. He looks. He was a speed back in 2019 when he set the single season record for. For touchdowns in a season, and uh, now he looks fast, but also uh, pretty big too.
0: Yeah, it, he, his body changed a lot. I mean, I, I'll post some photos of it. I mean, I, I think it's probably for the better, um, but also I do have some concerns about it. I, I don't know how I feel about it until I see him in, in pads and, and see him, you know, what that contact point looks like. Uh, he's he gained at least ten or fifteen pounds for a 200-pound you know, back or a 190-pound back. Uh, that gets him up to 210, 215, which he looked all of. Uh, yeah, he looked big, man. He looked good. It's nice to see him back out there. I think he's one of the more talented offensive players in the big sky when healthy.
1: Anybody else that you got eyes on uh, that maybe surprised you or that you thought physically looked uh, really good? I had a couple. I thought your your pictures that you sent me last night, uh, the picture you had that you sent of Braxton Hill Certainly showed his um, lower body development. Uh, he's been definitely underneath the squat rack a little bit. I thought all the, the defensive front guys looked really, really good, and uh, I thought they were the ones that, that popped the most. But anybody in particular that, that really popped to you?
0: Yeah, Braxton Hill looked great. Levi Carroll looked great. The whole linebacking crew is you know, pretty physically impressive, pretty dominant group. Um, offensive line-wise, I mean, there was a couple guys that, you know, I was excited to see Uh, the transfer from Nebraska, Chris Walker, number 55. I mean, you know, we saw what he was going to look like on on Instagram or on Twitter, you know, coming in and uh, he's all that. I mean, he's a big dude. He's, he's got to be, you know, six, six close to 300. He's jacked. Uh, He's physically formidable. I think it's a good addition, even if he doesn't have a ton of of skills and is, is relatively raw, even though he's got experience at the FBS level. I still think it's a good addition to, you know, to strengthen up that, that front um, on offense. I, you know, I also thought my eyes kept getting caught after about the first 30 minutes by the, uh, a bunch of young receivers, to be honest, you know, a bunch of freshmen, uh, guys that I'd seen a little bit, you know, practiced some here there. Nick Williams uh, was a guy that I thought looked pretty good. Aaron Fontes I thought looked pretty darn good. Keelan White, all guys that I think uh, you know, slighter, you know, more possession style or less possession-style uh, body types, a little bit more um, slot-style body types, but, um, you know, also some range and some guys that could probably play on the outside. Um, so, yeah, I, the corners, the defensive backs looked really good. Um, Trajan Cotton and Corbin Walker and Justin Ford. Uh, Justin Ford, a guy who gained some weight and looked big, man. I mean, he looked, he looked big and strong and, and confident as he gets. So, overall, uh, some of the young receivers were the guys that were that were kind of catching my eye athletically.
1: SkylineSportsMT.com, you can find three position groups to watch, and we highlighted the receivers, the specialists, and the offensive line as our uh, three that we'll have the most keen eye on. Interesting to break down that receivers group because you do have Mr. Roberts, who's been Mr. Steady, uh, a multiple-year starter out of Missoula Sentinel, team-leading 55 catches a year ago. You have Malik Flowers, who showed his great explosiveness in the return game but still only has 33 offensive touches. Both those guys are seniors. And then the rest of the crew are all sophomores. Junior Bergen, Aaron Fonts, Ryan Simpson, Keelan White. Uh, Those guys are all going to be expected to compete for time in the uh, receiver rotation. Cameron Verstrait, who's a sophomore wide receiver transfer from Washington. I didn't get much of an eye on him, but he was announced as being part of the roster. He was all... He is also maybe expected to contribute. They brought in Sawyer Rockinelli, a Washington transfer, during the spring, but he was then uh, suffered a knee injury, so he'll be out for the foreseeable future. So uh, Brooks, those position groups that we have an eye on, the receivers, um, for all of the the criticism of Bob Stitt and his program management and his um, recruiting. He did leave Montana with some really good receivers, and Samari Torre had the greatest single season in Montana history, at least arguably one of, during his junior year in 2019. Sammy Akem maybe had uh, not a senior season that many hoped for him, yet he still ended his career in the top four in school history in catches, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. Only guy in school history to be in the top five in each of those three career categories. And so there is some huge question marks with the Grizz passing game in general, I mean, I think that we both agree there's a ton of question marks with the Grizz offense. I think that Marcus Knight looks good, but is he healthy? I don't know. Where do they fall to running back after that? Is Xavier Harris ready to to put on another good display after having a pretty strong freshman year? Receivers a lot of question marks. The offensive line is the number one question mark on this team, I think. And they, they think they have a, a guy that's a keeper in Lucas Johnson, who's a graduate transfer quarterback. But... Is he actually the guy? And I, So I think that you and I were texting last night. I think the Grizz have no issue on defense. I think they're going to be stacked as stacked can be. I actually don't think that there's a guy who could get hurt in a in a serious fashion that could derail their season. I think they have an, an option backing up the backup pretty much on defense. But on offense, I think that there's question marks abound. I think the only place where I think that they're pretty darn solid is that tight end other than that. You know, there's some guys that have shown flashes. There are some a few proven players in each of the position groups, but I think offensively across the board, uh, they have giant question marks for Montana.
0: They have massive question marks. and I mean, the buzz in camp was is always about how this is, you know, one of the most talented teams in Grizz history. And when you have a defense like they do with the personnel that they have on that roster, I think that you can have a lot of confidence in your ability to win games and be able to hold teams to, you know, really low-scoring outputs. So that that gives you confidence as a team, no doubt. Uh, But the offense has a lot of question marks. Quarterback play with Lucas Johnson—if he ends up being the guy, you know, a guy that can take you deep in the playoffs—that will change everything at, at Montana because they haven't had that style of quarterback play for many years. It has been some time, Colter. I mean, we could go back, you know, close to a decade where there has not been elite quarterback play, sufficient at times, good, even great, with guys like Dalton Sneed, but absolutely drop down a um you know i don't know if that's that's happened at montana for quite some time so lucas johnson you know it's easy to say the quarterback will be a big pivot point but i, I certainly do think that that is the case offensive line wise we've talked about this a lot they have struggled with personnel at offensive line for the last several years they just don't have the bodies you know they have two or three guys that that, that can play but if those are your best guys you know you don't have a ton of depth not necessarily a strong unit and that is where football you know the driver of most any good team is going to come from so they have some issues they need to address the offensive line can they develop that over one fall camp over this last summer I think that you know time will tell Uh, we'll see if guys like Brandon Casey take the next step but as of now that big question mark is still looming Um, you can't throw the ball if you can't protect you can't run the ball if you can't block Uh, those are really important things in football no matter what Marcus Knight looks like or a group of young receivers looks like, I think it will still start and, and kind of be determined offensively success uh, up front.
1: Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. It's presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Brooks Nuane is joining us. Did you get a chance to look at any of the, uh, the quarterbacks? And if so, what would you think of Lucas Johnson? What would you think of uh, A.J. Abbott, the quarterback transfer from Oregon? as well as a couple of the guys that have been around for a little while, Chris Brown, who had his growing pains a year ago, and Daniel Britt, who is a highly recruited guy out of Las Vegas, still hasn't got a chance in a game, but a guy that I know that some people listen to this podcast are very high on. Uh, would you, did you get a chance to see the quarterbacks at all yesterday?
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I, I, I was happy to see Lucas Johnson and watch him throw the ball a little bit because that did not happen much in the spring, as far especially the, the last scrimmage, the spring game in Hamilton. Uh, They ran two plays over and over and over, which none of them were him throwing the ball anywhere near um, downfield. So he did that yesterday. He he threw a 50-yard touchdown to Cole Grossman. It was a really nice ball, man. I mean, I watched it from north-south, you know, kind of the all-22 view. And and that ball, I mean, it was a great ball. It was something I haven't seen at Montana in several seasons, as mentioned. So Lucas Johnson was throwing it well. I I still think Chris Brown has a lot of development to do. I could easily see AJ, A.J. Abbott becoming the backup quarterback to Lucas Johnson. I think that's where I'd put my money. I'm betting on that. You know, if if they were to take my bet, I'd surely put it down. I think of all the guys, um, I thought Daniel Britt was was a guy that, you know, I I certainly don't wish injury upon anyone, but two or three quarterbacks go down down and Daniel Britt goes in the game. I think everyone takes a a gasp, and then they have this sigh of relief and, wow, this, this guy can play. He's tiny. He's miniature. I don't know what he's listed at. It can't be more than 5'10", 180 pounds maybe. I mean, he's a small dude. But he can, he can throw it. I mean, you can, see, you can tell he sees it pretty well. Um, you know, he has that touch. He has that feel for the game. Uh, so I thought that Daniel Britt was, was kind of impressive, to be honest. Um, and the rest of the quarterbacks, you know, I think there's some development to happen there. We'll kind of see. I was interested to see um, the Helena kid. Remind me his name, Colbert. Camden Hout.
1: Caden, Caden Hout. Hewitt.
0: Hewitt, Kaden Hewitt. Um, I liked him in high school a lot. Every time I saw him, I was like, oh, wow, that's a good body. He kind of stood out yesterday, too. Still a young guy. We'll see, you know, if he ever gets any reps um, to start that development process. But when I saw him, I had to look at the roster and be like, well, who is this guy? And, And, yeah, he stood out a little bit.
1: The Hewitt's biggest uh, – Hewitt's going to have the same thing that so many guys from Montana have. He's big, he's got a strong arm, and he could run at the high school level. He's not yeah. an athletic – he's he's decently athletic, but I don't think he can run and break the pocket at the Division I level. But he got away with a lot of – I don't want to say bad habits, but he holds on to the ball too long. Uh, and, and that's not uncommon for young quarterbacks, and you can hold on to the ball too long – when you can run away from everybody at the high school level, that's just going to be a lot less time um, when you get to the college level. We, we have tons of time throughout the next couple weeks and the next couple of months to talk about the Grizz. I'm going to be down there again today, so I'll have some a little bit more in-depth evaluations of these guys from a physical perspective. We'll talk some Bobcat stuff. Brooks, I know that you have not seen the Bobcats live and in person in uh, a little while, Um but what do you think of are some of the broad storylines coming into this fall camp? Obviously, a defined one with year two of Brent Vegan and a defined one with all this pressure, all this expectation on uh, Tommy touchdown, Mister Tommy Malott. So, what do you think of just uh, Bobcats year two, Brent Vegan camp underway in Bozeman?
0: Well, yeah, they have extremely high expectations as well. Number four nationally in the FCS top twenty-five preseason poll, um, again. Number three and number four. I mean, we're talking some serious high expectations for these Montana schools. Which you know me, Colt, That's uh, that's all they should sign up for. That's It's kind of exactly the table that everyone wants to set. Is that kind of expectation? So it's good. Well, to and at Montana. this point in
1: time, too, with the way that the FCS is, there's no excuse for Montana and Montana State to not be top five in the preseason, right? I mean, Sam Houston's not in the division anymore. And uh, James Madison's not in the division anymore. And other schools with resources like Idaho don't have it rolling yet. And, you know, Weber State, what is their footing? What's, what are they at? I mean, the point of the story is with where the FCS is right now, other than the Dakota schools, there is no excuse for Montana and Montana State to have anything less than national semifinal expectations year in and year out, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, one thing I have Doc got to say in this podcast is, Maybe maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I was actually quite surprised about some of the preseason accolades that Tommy Molot was receiving. Uh, you know, he was you know getting first team preseason first team uh, quarterback nominations kind of across the board. And not to say that I don't think Tommy Molot is extremely talented; it could be one of the best players in the league. I think that is absolutely true. His quarterback development has not been you know the steepest uphill curve. I mean, it, it's you know, he's a dynamic athlete. He can throw the deep ball fairly well. Uh, he's a good playmaker. You know, he got really hot in the playoffs there, and, and man, he had it rolling. But, but overall, I, I still think that there's a lot of development for, for Togelot and, and, you know, a lot of the Montana State offense. If Isaiah Infonse is, is still banged up, uh, not ready to go, he's battled lower leg injuries, knee injuries for the better part of his career, you know, that's a big blow. We'll see what that looks like. They have to replace several guys on the offensive line including three of their most productive players over the, the last four or five seasons. Um, and Lewis Kidd, Taylor Tuiasosopo, uh Zach Red retired, uh, you know, lost Connor Wood two years ago. That's, that's, that's five starting linemen. Justice, uh, Justice Perkins, uh, Perkins transferred. Um, sorry, TJ Sessions, not Justice Perkins, excuse me. Um, so that's five starters in the last five years that have, you know, played a lot of games with the Bobcats that are all gone now. So, we'll see what that looks like. So, offensively, I think there's some questions. And then defensively, Troy Anderson um, departs, you know, after his storied career as well as Chase Benson. Um, you know, another guy that played really well. Then you have a uh, seventh-round draft pick and Daniel Hardy that's gone. He has two draft picks, uh, first-team all-league interior guy on defense. So, some more question marks there. But you do bring back guys like Callahan O'Reilly, who's a stud, who's a, you know, borderline first-team um, all league style player, and you bring back some more guys in the secondary like Ty Okada, who's, who's played, had such a, uh, you know, a, he's he's risen to the top of the big sky kind of overnight and become one of the best defensive players, in def- especially in the defensive backfield um, in the league. So you have plenty of talent there. I do think that there's probably more questions as far as the roster composition goes at Montana State than there is at Montana. Uh, the receiver room is chocked full of transfers as well. So it'll be a very important camp for for Montana State, especially with Brent Vegan kind of starting to try to settle in. Uh, As you know, across the hill, Bobby Howe does not need to settle in. He has a bead on every single inch of his program and knows every single thing that's going on, including the position battles, which have already been complete, in his mind.
1: Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all of their help and support in helping get so many different things, whether it's the Skyline Sports newsletter or this podcast series or a variety of other different things. Couldn't do it without Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate them for all of their support here over the last several years and their continued partnership with us here at Skyline Sports. Brooks, I want to talk about the, the Tommy Millat dynamic because it was a little bit shocking that Tommy Millat was the preseason All-Big Sky selection at quarterback even though he's never started a game in Big Sky Conference play. It was a little shocking to see his name on the Walter Payton Award watch list. But that's maybe, you know, it's a watch list. So you're projecting, okay, top five team that has a returning quarterback. Okay, I can see him on the watch list. But he also, though, was uh, a preseason All-American. And this is a lot of pressure on a guy from a very small body of work. Tommy Mallott has started four football games in his life. They were all in the playoffs. He's only finished three football games in his life because he got knocked out in the first quarter against North Dakota State. One, I, I would actually say the single most interesting thing that I found out during this first week or so of camp on either side of the Continental Divide is the level of confidence that Montana State has in Tommy Mallott. They are going all in on this kid. They nominated Tommy Millat for the Preseason Offensive Player of the Year Award, not Isaiah Afonso. That was a, a in-house decision. We at Skyline Sports tried to vote for Afonso, even though we knew Afonso was hurt and that he was going to be out for the beginning part of the season at least. We still were going to vote for him because of his body of work. You know, single-season rushing record last year, closing in on becoming the all-time leading rusher in Bobcat history. But Matias, they didn't even put him up for the award. They put Tommy Millat up for the award. So I decided when I was at Media Day to ask everybody in the organization what they thought of Tommy Millat. To a man, they all said, not only are we so unbelievably confident in this guy, we think that he can take all the pressure in the world and then some. We truly think we have one of the best players in the country, period. And I think it's a sort of similar carryover from the storyline last year when Matt McKay basically quit the team, entered the transfer portal, and left the Bobcats high and dry right before the playoffs. All of the guys internally were like, finally, we got our dude. We believe in Tommy Millott. We're going to go ball for Tommy Millott because we know Tommy Millott's going to ball for us. And I think it's a carryover of that. But, like, I asked Willie Patterson what he thought of it. He just laughed, and he's like, the big guy doesn't know what's coming. I asked Jeffrey Manning about it. He's like, people don't understand, man. This kid is the best player in the conference, and I think it's crazy that they're putting this kid on this pedestal, but maybe it's completely justified, and, and he is cut from a different cloth. He is a little bit of a strange uh, – not strange, an analytical and different wired kid in his way to diagnose things and and uh, let it all roll. So uh, I think the person that's maybe the most impervious to this amount of pressure is Tommy Millat. And Brent Vegan, Montana State's head coach, told me exactly that. He said, not only do we feel fully comfortable putting Tommy on this pedestal, we also know that it won't affect him whatsoever. He's going to want to be as great as he possibly can be every single day, no matter what the external expectations are. His internal expectations are even higher. So I just thought it was, it was fascinating. And it leads me to a conversation we had on Nuana's Now, my daily radio show on ESPN. Rajim Seabrook and I talked last week about not just the dynamic of quarterbacks and their importance to the operation of a football team, but more importantly, the dynamic of a team's confidence in a quarterback. The quarterback's performance is one thing, and that can garner a lot of confidence from the team. But there's also another dynamic, and we see this with like the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, where no matter what the outside world thinks, internally, they think that's their guy, and they think he's going to go make winning plays. So, Brooks, how important do you think it is, sort of the difference in dichotomy between external uh, observations, external uh, expectations, and, and then internal belief, because for for what I'm getting out of MSU, it doesn't matter what the rest of the country thinks of Tommy Millard or if they think this this praise and adoration is is justified. More importantly, to me, I think it's only important what they think they have and how confident the team is in him.
0: I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot there, Colton. I think that you know you can look at that perspective of internal expectations versus, you know, the outside world's perception of it, and you can kind of play both sides of that, uh, of that card. I think that there's two things here that are important. I think that, number one, institutions, organizations like Montana State have become very adept at learning how to craft their own narrative. It's important. Montana, Montana has done it for years, just not as, uh, quite as smoothly. They're, uh, they, you know, they, they they like to just keep it super internal. But now you start to hear a guy like Bobby Houck say it's one of the best teams he's ever coached. He has all the confidence in the world. That is starting to craft that narrative. I think that they're doing that some with time a lot. I also think that there's a true belief in him just due to a lot of his steady nature. They don't make young men like him very often. I'm not talking generationally. I'm not talking about, new age versus old school, some throwback morals. I'm not talking about any of that. Just the way he's wired, the ability to compete at such a high level without getting red in the face, you know, the ability to, you know, r- scare someone down in battle and be able to keep your composure and be able to be a true gamer. It's pretty rare. And, and time alot has that. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I think that we would have seen, you know, you could always say in, in hindsight. I think we would have seen a pretty impressive performance from Time Alot in the, in the national championship game against North Dakota State had he not gotten hurt. I don't think they would have had a chance to win. I think North Dakota State was one of the more talented teams I have ever seen, and I've seen a lot of iterations of those of that team. I still think Time Alot would have put up some stats, made some wow plays, and you know, put a memorable, memorable performance on the board. That being said, those internal expectations, especially at quarterback, for what seems to be a quarterback driven program under brett vegan i think it's really important to, to to line out and get everyone on the same page i think more importantly from a player perspective i think that guys like you mentioned jeffrey Manning and willie patterson talking about time a lot um, ascension and skill set is a little bit more important than maybe someone who's at the at the head of that of that organization so kind of a long answer to, to say overall i do think that setting expectations or meeting national external expectations internally, meeting those head on and trying to kind of, you know, make sure that those are symbiotic and and, and look similar so that everyone has an idea of where to row and what direction to to go. I think that's vitally important. And I think Montana State's doing that with time a lot. And again, it shouldn't be a surprise when it happened. I didn't want it to be a surprise, but it was to me
1: I know, and then I'm trying to not necessarily bite hook, line, and sinker, but what I always tell people when they ask me, how good is Tommy Molot, or is Tommy Molot coming along? Is he ready? Where's Tommy Molot at? I say, all I know about Tommy Molot is that Tommy Molot is going to be as good as he can be in this specific year. How good that is remains to be seen, but he will be as good as he can be in this specific year. He doesn't have what so many quarterbacks struggle with where he glitches out in games and he, he can't handle the pressure. He, in fact, I think the game slows down for him and he can kind of go into that flow state and he's going to put the work in. He's going to study the playbook. He's going to try his best to lead vocally and by example and he seems to just really welcome and relish the pressure. So uh, it's easy to, to bite hook, line, and sinker on the narrative that he's going to be really good, but all I really know is that I think that he's going to be as good as he can be. I don't think they have... A lot of the off the field concerns, I don't think they have to worry about a lot of the intangible stuff, and I don't think they have to worry about him getting into a game where he can't handle the pressure
0: I agree with that, and he's just got to stay healthy and The thing about you know injury prone people who say that term um, you know what does that mean it It can mean a lot of things and, and people's body structure is all built differently some got people really are injury prone just due to the nature of the sport, you know it's a very physical sport like talking to lots injury that happened in the national championship it was a complete freak accident. You know, it's just, I mean, snapped his leg in half just by someone falling on it. I mean, it's everyone in that situation, 10 out of 10 people would break their leg if that happened to them. So it's not like it was, you know, something that was wear and tear and kind of this grind. But I, I do think that, so, so what does he do? Well, I think that if you had to characterize Tom a lot, you would say that, that he, that he's a running quarterback, you know, he, he scrambles really well. He's, extends the play can get to the edge uh, physical at the point of attack. And if I were to say that about a young player, that's only playing a handful of games. And that was what you're going to bank your program on. I think most people would say that's risky. And most people would say, well, that's a little bit concerning that he's a running quarterback. Who's definitely a big guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking a lot Jack. You see stand next to him a lot. He's six, one and a half, six two, two hundred and ten 210 pounds. I mean, he looks, he looks great. That's what that's, that's how they build him, You know, out of a factory. I'm not saying anything that, 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 that isn't true there. But the fact is that you, you're going to play 13, 14 games, 15 games in the season. Uh, you want to have durability, and he has not proven to be able to throw the ball extremely well across the middle of the field um, or, you know, dumping it to tight ends and dumping it to running backs in the backfield. He hit a lot of long shots, uh, and that's kind of, you know, with the running game they have, that's a pretty good style of offense, but also not systematically perfectly sound. So what are they going to do offensively with telling them a lot? I think that that is the, the number one question. And as you said, Coulter, will time a lot be as good as he can be in any system? I, I do agree with that, but there's so much that goes into the coaching aspect of of how they're going to prepare and what they're going to ask him to do that I think will play such a huge portion of it.
1: Next breakdown. Probably presented by Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth. If you need any financial advice, you want to learn how to invest, you want to make your life more tax-efficient, give Nick – a call today. Brooks, last thing for you before we let you go. I'm sitting here recording this and watching SWX Montana television and the story that's on the loop is the story of the day, the story of the week, the story of fall camp so far for the Montana Grizzlies. In July, Jace Lewis handed number 37 the tradition-laden jersey for the Montana Grizzlies down to Marcus Wellnell, who's a Senior to be out of Helena Capital. There was a bunch of fanfare on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that. But, uh, and the University of Montana's social media accounts posted pictures of Marcus Wellnell and number 37, or at least photoshopped pictures of Marcus Wellnell wearing number 37. And then yesterday during our pre practice interview with Bobby Houck, we asked Coach Houck about Marcus wearing number 37. And Coach Houck said, and I quote, I am not equipped to answer that question at this moment. I think there's still some more consulting that needs to be done. Then Wellnell did some post-practice interviews, and he talked about how the moment in which Jace gave him the jersey was one of the most special moments of his life. But they are still, quote, working through some things. But the fact of the matter is Marcus Willenell was wearing number 10 yesterday and not number 37 We don't know all the details as to the why. All we know is that Bobby Houck made a comment that there's still some consulting to be done and Marcus Wilnell was not wearing number 37. We don't have to hash this out too much. Just briefly, your thoughts.
0: Oh, Colter, if I told you I didn't care, um, no one wants to hear that. I don't know if I do. Um, I think Marcus Wilnell will wear number 37. So the... There's definitely some conspiracy theories out there for Robbie Hauk and Bobby Houck and the legacy that is. Um, I don't think there's anyone in the entire world that wouldn't think it's cool if Robbie Hauk wore 37. I think everyone would think that's pretty darn cool. Even if you, you know, thought it was maybe a little cheesy or unearned, or he's not from Montana or you know, kind of whatever that looks like, it would probably be pretty cool. That's not really how it works, uh, you know, coach doesn't get to pick who wears 37. Never has, never will. Uh, that is the entire legacy of the jersey. Is that it is picked, it is passed on, it, and the player is picked by the former recipient for a very, very good reason. Because it is not intended to be on the best player. It is not intended to be on the face of the of the franchise, quote unquote. That is not the intention of the jersey. It is not the intention of the program. Uh, it is supposed to go to a lifelong or a born-in Montana legacy player that represents what it means to play hard. Um, and that, does again, does not necessarily mean that you have to be the best player. Uh, when I was playing for Montana, Carson Bender was handed down 37, um, defensive tackle from Deer Lodge. And by no means was Carson Bender could put up stats um, in his entire career. You know, he, if he would have had a productive career that did not, was not laden with injuries, he might have had 50 or 60 tackles. Uh, that's not what the awards about. The awards about being a weight room warrior and a you know a, a a come to practice every day with your hard hat kind of guy. Um so I think that this will shake itself out. I think Marcus Wellnell will wear 37. I think it's it's uh very impressive um and very much deserved.
1: I hope it shakes its way out. It's uh you know it, 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 there's so much to say here, so much that's tenuous to say. All I know is that the tradition is a player tradition started by Craig Paulson and continued on through 16 different young men from Montana who've worn number 37. I also think that it's not... I think that it's gone away from what it's supposed to be about because, in order, C.J. Pitcher and Carson Bender... And Lauren, Utter, I guess the CCA pitcher, Lauren Utterback, Carson Bender, and Ryan Featherston, those four guys in a row were all, in my opinion, great representatives of the award. None of them were first team All American caliber guys. And I think a lot of then the narrative around the number became skewed. Why isn't 37 the best player? And then all of a sudden they started trying to give 37 to the best Montana guy. And that's then when it became. Zach Wagaman to Jordan Tripp to Caleb Kidder and guys that are All-Americans. And it became sort of a marketing ploy rather than a tradition. And I'm not saying any of those guys didn't deserve to wear the jersey. They absolutely did. But forever, it was always given to a young Montana guy that would then wear the jersey for multiple years and show sort of that Montana spirit. And it didn't matter if he was a first-team All-League selection or not. And it wasn't even about what he could be. It was all just about representing the the flavor of Montana by wearing the jersey. It wasn't necessarily wearing the jersey as the best player from Montana. And so, you know, that's one part of the deal. The other part of the deal is I think that you can be a great player no matter what number you wear. And there's been some of the greatest players in Montana history, like Colt Anderson and Shan Schillinger and Vince Huntsberger and Trey Young and, you know, uh, Croy Bierman and Tremaine Johnson and Robbie Houck's in that conversation as well. You don't have to wear 37 to be a great player. So if that's part of this, I think that's just silly. And I think that there should just be a, a not that, – that shouldn't be a part of the equation. It shouldn't necessarily be the best guy from Montana wearing it. It should be the, the player that best encompasses the spirit of Montana. We're going to have more on this. I'm trying to round up some former 37s to talk about just the tradition of handing it down and what that means and what the challenges are. Uh, but we'll leave it lie as of right now. We're only one day into camp. Hopefully they figure it out. Hopefully we'll see Marcus Weldell uh, wearing it later on. And Again, this is not us advocating for who we think it should be. Jace Lewis thinks it should be Marcus Weldell. That's the only thing that matters. This is a cut and dry decision. The tradition is that the previous player gives it to the current player. That's all. That's it. So hopefully they smooth it out. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe add more to this later on. But I, I think for now we'll just let it be.
0: And, you know, one thing to finish this culture is one of the funniest parts about it is I, I've had people say, well, it goes to the hardest hitter. That's what it is. It's the hardest hitter on the team. It's the guy that makes the most noise in fall camp. It's like that has nothing to do with any of it. The award started on offense, which is one of my, my favorite parts about it. And we call it an award, the legacy. Craig Poulsen was a fullback. I think the only offensive player to wear it. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it switch back to offense uh, some, sometime, someday. Uh, I think that might be pretty good for the tradition
1: as well. Big sad breakdown. Thanks to Blackfoot Communications, Opportunity Bank, and Nick Tabor of Westpac Wealth for helping us bring you all these great podcasts throughout the season. Brooks, we will talk to you sometime soon. Thanks for being here.
0: Absolutely. Thanks.